Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Hi, and welcome to Women on the Line, Community Radio's National Women's Current Affairs Program. Produced at 3CR Community Radio in Melbourne and broadcast on the Community Radio Network. I'm Amy Middleton. Amy Middleton here and welcome to Women on the Line. In this week's episode, I chat with Leifa Singleton-Norton, the founder of Women in Literary Arts Australia, an organisation dedicated to fostering and promoting women in literature. Women in Literary Arts Australia, or WILA, has this week announced its steering committee, that is, a group of women who will, along with Leifa, discuss how to address the issues facing women writers in Australia. Leifa and I had an interesting chat about the state of literature and the experience of being a woman writer in Australia today and also how these things might be changing. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to Women on the Line. I'm here with Leifa Singleton-Norton, a writer and editor and the founder of Women in Literary Arts Australia. Thanks for being on Women on the Line, Leifa. Hi, Amy. Thanks for having me. Let's get a bit of an overview of you, your career, your background, especially in literature. Sure. Uh, I guess most of my kind of start with words and literature came um, from student media. So uh, back when I was at La Trobe University, um, I had been uh, doing a media degree and had been writing for street press and for small independent publications and so on and was really enjoying that but had no idea what I really wanted to do after I was done uh, with university. And luckily for me, I kind of fell into a job uh, at La Trobe um, on Rabelais and found that I loved it. Um, I kind of did one full year of editing and then realised pretty quickly that I had only just figured out how to do the job. So, <laughs> Isn't that always the way? Yep. Uh, and luckily for me, um, was able to go back and kind of do it for a second year, which not many people get that chance, but I was fortunate enough to. So I went back and did it another year. Um, oh, do they it, usually have a, a new editor every year? Yeah, you have to get elected every year. Uh-huh. Uh, and so, you know, kind of going for a second time was a bit of a chance. But also at the time, um, there weren't a lot of other media students who kind of really wanted to be up for that challenge. And I don't know whether it was naivety or just, you know, hubris. But either way, I was like, I can do it. We'll do it again. Let's go. So <laughs> back we went. Uh and, uh, yeah, did it for a second year and felt much better at the end of that second year. I was like, yeah, okay, I think I got somewhere finally. So those years of kind of being thrown in the deep end and, and having to write, having to edit, having to do, you know, pretty much everything for a student paper really kind of got my got my interest peaked. And I was like, okay, this is it. This is my kind of area. So went from there, kind of founded my own small um, magazine, which was The Pun, uh, and we did a version called The Pundit as well, which were review publications for the Melbourne International. National Comedy Festival um, and the Melbourne Film Festival. And those were kind of a response to the VSU legislation that had come in mm-hmm. in campuses around the same time um, where, you know, funding for student services was being cut. Um, and one of the things that I was really passionate about was the fact that so many young writers came to us 
And so many writers, when I think about those writers today and the writers that I knew in student media, they're all the ones who are kind of doing amazing things now. Um, and we're really determined that, that those were the writers, the kind of the really first time you get your byline is like a really big deal. And mm. if you don't have student media, you know, where are you going to go and do that? So... Uh, we wanted to start a publication that just kind of encouraged people to come in, do a bit of writing and get that byline and then move on, um, which is what we did for probably, and when I say we, sorry, my partner, Tim and I, um, and uh, we did that for probably five or six years, I think. Um, and that was before digital publishing really took off. So we were doing some um, digital and some full, full print editions um, and handing them out on the steps of the town hall, all kinds of fun uh, <laughs> distribution models. And uh, did that for a few years and then, yeah, just got more and more invested in my own writing um, and editing and, and doing projects like running the National Student and Emerging Media Conference for TINA, for This Is Not Art, which has just finished up for another year up in Newcastle. Um, and that kind of got me into programming literary events and, and public events. So that became another kind of part of what I love to do. And now I do both things, really. I, I kind of work on the, the promotion um, and events side of things and I also do my own writing and editing whenever I can. So it's all, again, in the best kind of way, snowballed from yeah, getting stuck into something at the deep end and then finding yourself doing something you really love, which is a bit of a dream come true, really. Isn't it? Yeah. Tough dream, nice. though. It is. <laughs> it really is. And I should say, you know, when I say I love what I do, sure, but I'm destitute and, you know, <laughs> live in a writer's garret of poverty, not at all really a writer's garret of poverty but you know when I say I love what I do there are sacrifices that come with that that's too. right yeah it's a life of compromise it is it is um the Melbourne literary scene particularly um and the national literary scene is um it's super intertwined it's very um supportive it's very community-based um yes. is that something that you have watched change over the time you've been involved in it yeah, I don't know. I think um, I think there are there are within. I definitely agree. It's it's such a community of writers throughout Australia, and you know, particularly here in Melbourne, we're really lucky. We're a city of literature now, and um, I think that is a huge part to the, the actual community that we mm. have, more so than any one particular, you know, publishing house or landmark or anything else. Um, and I definitely feel like that has gotten stronger over time. And I think that's partly because um, we have better tools to keep us connected now. So I think there are lots of online communities that can touch base. We also have the joy of having the Wheeler Centre here in Melbourne, which is a space that most of us can come to and use. Um, and I think we've just gotten better at supporting each other and realising mm. that everybody else's success will build into your own success too. Um, so I definitely feel that. And I feel like particularly the the um, Young Writers Festival that happens up in Tina um, is another really great example of, you know, that's somewhere where you can go to every year and you will meet up with writers all over Australia and you will build connections and communities mm. that will follow you for the rest of your career. And that's something I'm really passionate about is kind of looking around at your peers as opposed to, you know, looking ahead and saying, there's a person that I want to be and that's the person that I'll chase and they're a gatekeeper who will let me into some magical kingdom, which I don't think is really um, how most things work. Um, I'm really focused on, um, not just for myself, but I always encourage this when I'm working with other um, emerging writers that, you know, what you really need to do is find your people. Find the people who are passionate about the things you're passionate about. Work together and do as much as you can and you'll find that you'll be supporting each other for, mm. you know, as long as your careers go on. 
And combining all your different skills, I guess. So much so, so much so. And like I was saying, some of the people that I met in student media, whether they were other student media editors or whether they were writers who worked with me, I'm still working with a whole bunch mm. of those people. Um, and it's not because we, you know, kind of formed some magical crowd of in-kids. It's much more about the fact that if someone says to me, do you know someone who does this thing or, you know... You have an investment in the people that have worked for you for free and you've given them your skills for other things and you kind of, yeah, build a really great, really strong community, I think. Mm. Yeah, I remember going up to National Young Writers Festival last year and it's, it's such a, um, as well as that networking aspect, it was so wonderful to be surrounded by a whole bunch of people who understood that destitute side. Oh, of, yes. So we just, you know, we could have, have a wine and a cigarette and then talk about how broke we were and have a laugh about it, yep. you know. Yep. And where are we going to find the money to do this crazy project we've got an idea That's for right. and who's going to help us get it done? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Where's your funding coming yep. from? Cause you... Nowhere. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it's true. Um, and and also I think those are really great. Like, you know, I think that networking word is like always seems like it's dirty laundry. You're not supposed to say networking. Oh, I love it. Yeah, well, <laughs> I don't know. I, I have this point of view of networking is just like, m- m- you know, expanding your networks. It's actually figuring out who's doing cool stuff. It's not, you know, it doesn't have to be a dirty word as such. It's definitely getting out there and kind of getting a, a taking the temperature of what's happening around mm. you. Yeah, and getting different perspectives. I mean... Um, in terms of dirty words, Facebook definitely is one and I have a love-hate relationship with it. But if I need to find something out, the first thing I'll do is post it on Facebook because it's where my people are. Yep, absolutely. (laughs) And you can limit the amount of external uh, kind of unsolicited opinion that comes when you're on Twitter or any other kind of platform. Most of the time with Facebook, it's like, sure, I guess I did ask for that opinion and I do sort of know you because I have put you on my friend list. So I've only got myself to blame. <laughs> yeah, Very true. true. So tell us a bit about how the Women in Literary Arts Australia came about. Yeah, so um, it's really been quite a long process. Um, I've been working up until about this time last year, actually. I've been free for a year and I don't even know it. Um, I've been working at Express Media, which is an organisation here in Melbourne that works with young writers, writers under 30. Um, and we do national work, so we're all over the country. But um, the the kind of great thing about Express Media is our flagship program is VoiceWorks. Um, that's a magazine that publishes writers under 25. Um, and it is, you know, unequal anywhere in the country for how much uh, volunteer time and how much work and effort gets put into that magazine. And as an organisation, Express Media is the same. We have a huge network of volunteers, have a huge network of staff, um, kind of project-based staff, um, all run off, you know, very little funding and and with a lot of love. Mm. Uh, And working in that environment and also, you know, as I say, having run my own publishing and and generally being around um, as long as I have, I have noticed more and more, and I guess as my feminism has become stronger and more relevant to my life, um, I wasn't one of those kind of radicalised young people. Me uh, neither. Didn't grow up in a house where, you know, feminism was discussed all the time no. or um, you were kind of taught to question those big structures. Um, so as I kind of got out into the world and went, oh, actually, yeah, hi, this all matters. Okay, <laughs> I guess I should get my head around that. Um, and, yeah, as the years have gone on, it's become more important. So as I've been, you know, kind of going through my career and noticing the kinds of um, – 
the, the disadvantages that women have, but also the, the kind of hurdles that are just that bit higher and just that bit harder to get over for women in what is already a really challenging industry. Um, it's, it kind of became obvious to me that where I was most interested was in working with other women who were having the same kinds of um, issues and the same kinds of concerns. So all of that has started to happen slowly. Uh, and then a few years ago, I, I kind of pitched to someone um, and it was right around the time that Stella was, you know, kind of up for the first year and so the award had just come out and I found... Let's talk a bit about Stella for listeners in case they don't know. Yeah, great idea. So Stella, um, the Stella Prize is a prize that is awarded um, to the best book by an Australian woman writer um, that has come out in the past 12 months and now I'm going to tie myself up. Is it three years? I think three years they've been running. Okay. Uh, I can check that. I was going to say, I'll <laughs> be annoyed with myself afterwards. Um, and uh, of of the Stella Prize, uh, basically it was started in reaction to the fact that the Miles Franklin was what I love to repeat every time I can, was a sausage fest. <laughs> um, and uh, the, the shortlist one year um, was completely male. The long lists were all, you know, totally male-dominated. Um, and a group of women came together and said, this is not a coincidence and it is immensely frustrating um can you please uh you know kind of reconsider um this male-dominated perspective of what makes good australian literature Mm. uh and if you won't do it then we'll reconsider it for you we'll make a women-only prize and some people agreed that that was a great thing to do some people didn't think it was Mm. um, but i think stella's strength um speaks for itself i think the fact that the miles franklin short and long lists are now much more uh gender I won't say neutral, but gender-balanced, inclusive, balanced, inclusive yeah, yeah. yep. Um, and certainly that the, the shortlists, um, you know, kind of dominated by women, it's reversed. Um, and, you know, the Miles judges, uh, at the suggestion that that had anything to do with Stella having drawn attention to and, and opened up that debate about what was good literary writing in Australia and whether that was masculinised and feminised and whether there was such a thing as women's fiction, all of these really kind of interesting questions that people have started talking about more widely. Um, the judges of the Miles... Franklin said, no, 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 it's nothing to do with that. It's, it's just a coincidence that since Stella uh, has emerged, we've had so much, you know, more gender uh, representation uh, for women on our lists, which I think is hilarious. You can try to claim that's a coincidence all your life, but it's one heck of a coincidence. Yeah, yeah. Um, it almost doesn't matter either. No. It's like whether it was, whether they admit it or not, it's, yeah. it's just the way it's going. And I think it's because people like to think that bias and discrimination mean deliberate bias, deliberate, yeah. deliberate um, discrimination, whereas I think, you know, and what Stella I think has done really well is not just say, well, here's the good women's writing to go hand in hand with something like the Miles Franklin, which is good men's writing, but what they've said is look at these books and I challenge you not to think that they that they speak to the Australian experience and that they speak to great literature. Um, and it's challenged people to think more about whether novels that are set in the domestic really are women's fiction or whether they are fiction that has a woman as a central character or her mm. experiences as a story. So I think that's something that I'm really glad that Stella have done, aside from just say these are great books by women. They've actually really kept that political agenda and those political discussions happen which are, sure, but how do we categorise that literature and, and why is it that men are seen to write important things? So, And where do those discussions take place that the Stella kind of instigates? Well, I think Stella did a really great job of when they founded the prize and when they have gone out and had those 
um, kind of, you know, those first bursts of press where essentially the only question that a lot of people wanted to ask was why should we have a women's literary mm. prize and doesn't that ghettoise women? They did a really great job of reframing that conversation okay. in the media and saying, sure, some people don't like that this is what we've chosen to do about it, but this is why and this is how. So definitely through the media they did that. And also they've been invited to literary festivals. They've run panels at places like the Wheeler Centre. And in those spaces they have worked really hard to to make those big questions come out and to make it more than just, you know, what are the good women's books that we can read and yeah. Um, they, they've they really made that a public discussion that I That's think cool. has filtered through in lots of different ways. That's great. And I looked it up and, yes, it was uh, established in 2013, so this is there the third go. year. Three. Phew, yep, I got it well right. Done. <laughs> Um, so you go on about the the founding of yeah. So around around about the same time as Stella um, had come out that first year, and had been awarded for the first time, and that, so there was a big burst of discussion about women's writing, and uh, I kind of ha- was having some conversations with people, and and one of the things that I was disheartened about was that a lot of the public dialogue, whether that was media or sometimes these panel discussions and so forth, were kind of still focusing on this idea of is there discrimination for women in literature? And around the same time, the Vita count had happened in the US. Um, and the Vita count is a count that um, looks at how many books by women uh, are being reviewed by major journals and newspapers. And of those that are reviewed, how many are reviewed by women or by men? And it mm. found these absolutely shocking uh, statistics about how few books by women were being reviewed and more especially how few male reviewers reviewed books by women. So it was really quite dire and there was not a single publication the first year that had parity in terms of um, whether it reviewed as many men and women. And some of those statistics have gotten better, some have not, um, as Vita has continued them. But again, it still felt like the public conversation was stuck on this idea of is there parody or is there not? Um, And I was quite fed up with that. So I started talking to some people at different festivals and saying, I really want to have a conversation that is about what we do, about the fact that there Mm. is, as we know, a really big disparity between the coverage that men's books get, the coverage that women's books get, but also, you know, the importance that writers have placed on them when they're writing, you know, particular topics or um, when they are trying to get work. Are are men getting as many bylines as women? What is that situation? So... um, it was interesting. There were, I will leave unnamed, but there was one uh, group that I approached to do a panel discussion on that topic who just said, oh, we sort of feel like people are tired of talking about women in literature, uh, which was a bit depressing, um, and but also kind of put a bit of fire in my belly too. I was like, oh, really? Okay. Oh, All right. It's time to get serious about this. And about that time, I approached the Emerging Writers Festival and said I wanted to have this discussion um, and Sam Twyford Moore, um, who was the director at the time, was absolutely gung-ho about it. He was fantastic. He was like, yep, let's do it. Let's set you whatever space we can, however we can do it to support you, we will. So I worked with women um, on the team over there at Emerging Writers Festival. We put together an industry roundtable of about 12 people, I think, were in that first room. Um, and we had a discussion where we just said, okay, what do we see as the biggest problems and the most kind of structural and endemic problems facing women? 
uh, and what would we like to see done about it? And, that, you know, that's not much to try to cover in an hour and a half. It's fine. <laughs> Just solving the world's problems. It's fine. We, we got through it all. It was a good tick um, on everything <laughs> on the list. So we came out with some really concrete ideas and some much broader ones, um, and they are in um, a Women in Writing um, manifesto that you can read on the Emerging Writers Festival website if you'd like. Can you give us a breakdown? Yeah, sure. So we, we kind of split things into two parts, and one part was the stuff that we thought other people could be doing for women in literature. So editors, publishers, festival directors and things. And the others were things that women could be supported to do and improve on. So those were things like how do we get women more confident to pitch their own work or to go on stage? Uh, and so we worked on that and, and how we could support women to do those things um, while also realising the systematic oppressions that make it difficult for women to do those things. So I think that's an important part. You can't just put it back on women and say, well, you just need to pitch more. You need to be more confident. Yeah, exactly. So we, we talked about how we can do that. Mm. Um, and then we also talked about the flip side of things, which was, you know, why do books for women's fiction look, the covers are just so terrible. And so we had this great event that followed on from that at the Wheeler Centre which looked at the book covers of books by women writers and we tried to see if we could make up a whole woman out of all the bits of women that (laughs) feature on covers which was a fun jigsaw to make Um, and we also talked about things like you know, the Stella had started doing a Stella count, so an Australian count of um, publications. So looking at the reasons that women didn't pitch and what editors could actually do to be more friendly or to be more welcoming or to chase women to, you know, appear on their panels or be, you know, kind of featured in their pages. So there's a whole broad range of things. And we were really excited to do some more work after that session finished. And the Emerging Writers Festival were keen to support more work to happen. But suddenly we were sort of three months down the track and we got the one event um, happening at the Wheeler Centre and that was wonderful. But it suddenly became apparent that there was no one organisation that you could even go to to get a whole bunch of information Mm. about what the situation was like for women writers in Australia, what initiatives were out there, what prizes were out there. Um, And... You know, as I've said, Stella was kind of the flagship that was happening at the moment. At that moment, um, doing huge, valuable work in terms of not just the Stella Prize, but they were also starting a Stella Schools program, which was to encourage schools to have more women writers and books by women on their lists. Because quite often, and this was certainly the case for me, I went to an all-girls Catholic high school. Uh, and all the way through I read maybe four books by women, Mm. um, just an absolutely abysmally low Mm. number. Um, And, you know, we often find that when you talk to people, they will often have only read Jane Austen. That will be the only woman that they have read at high school, for example. So the Stella Schools program aims to um, get more great books by women, and particularly Australian women, obviously, um, onto syllabus. Uh, and to make sure that teachers have the support to teach those books and to teach them well. So programs like that had kind of started. um, But again, even when we're in that room having that discussion at the Emerging Writers Festival, what we found was there were people in that room would say, oh, well, you know, wouldn't it be great if you could go to one place and find women speakers? And somebody else said, oh, there there is an organisation that does that. Someone started that. And within that room, we didn't know that that thing existed. Mm. So even when you're really invested, even when you think you've got a pretty good idea of what's going on in your industry, sometimes you just don't know. What is that organisation? Oh, now, here oh, we go again. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's on our resources page on the Willis site. You can go and have a look at it. Um, but that organisation, you know, is there and it was started from the exact same thing. I'm sick of hearing people say they can't find a woman to be on a panel. That's ridiculous. Yeah. There are heaps of qualified woman, women on any topic you want to talk about. Here they are, which again is just 
so practical. It's, it's very practical. Yeah, and it's a shortcut for every person who sits in programming and says, you know, oh, I approached a woman but she said no, which is the number one excuse used. <laughs> My uh, one woman option said no. Right? I only know one woman and yeah. she's busy that day. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, this was like, well, you don't have that excuse anymore. So what happens when you take away that excuse? What's your next, you know, excuse? Or are you actually going to do something about this? Um, so, yeah, about that time, um, all of these things were happening and we just thought, let's just put together a website even that shows what you can do, what prizes are out there, what groups you can go to. So we did that. Um, and then about the same time, it became obvious that, um, you know, th- there's a great initiative called the Australian Women Writers Challenge, um, which, again, just is for every person, um, reader of any kind, any genre, any, you know, kind of area of interest um, just to read more Australian women writers in that field and it is a really great resource where you basically um, commit at the start of the year to a goal of how many books you want to read by Australian women writers that year and also um, has an additional challenge where you can agree to write a review and that might just be on Goodreads or it might be for your own blog or whatever it is. So talking about those things, talking about um, yeah, what, what work is out there that you're enjoying and just kind of encouraging people to speak more kind of openly about that. Um, and that's a really great initiative that I think, again, has led into better conversations and better discussions and um, it definitely made a difference in my reading habits. I thought I was doing quite well in terms of how many Australian women writers I read and then I was really shamed when I started <laughs> adding up those numbers. I was like, oh, my God, this is terrible. And for a while it actually took me effort to go out and find yeah. those books. It was like, okay, well, I really feel like reading science fiction, but I don't know who's writing good Australian science fiction, you know, from a female perspective. What am I going to do? So go out and search for it. And now it's really interesting. I found I went on a bit of a bookshop binge earlier <laughs> this week. Confession and, time. Yeah. Uh-oh. And uh, and I came home with five books, four of which by, were by Australian women writers, and that wasn't a counting effort. It right. wasn't until I got home I looked at it and thought, oh, there you go. It's naturally just kind of swayed. When I started looking for it, I found it hard now. I think, well, I do think there's more out there, but also, um, yeah, it's not that hard when you're actually looking. It's just recalibrating that systemic issue. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I've gotten to the point too where um, my politics around my reading are much more aligned with my politics in everyday life. So in everyday life, if I need a service or I have a product that I want to buy, I will look for a woman-owned business or I will look for a woman to do that service because it's the very least I can do Hmm. uh, in terms of, you know, evening out that gender disparity in most industries or in most services. Uh, And it's the same thing with my books. You know, now I'm like, okay, well, not only is this a political thing, but also I'm much more interested in the stories of women than I am the stories of men because I've been reading the stories of men for a lot longer. That's right. I'm really saturated with those. I get them everywhere I go. Uh, and it's hard to get women-driven movies, but I can get women-driven books. Mm. Like, that's so much easier. So it's been really joyful to find that and to have that space where I feel like it's a really positive thing that um, I'm not only supporting the women who are writing this, but most often their stories are much more sympathetic and much more interesting to me because they speak more clearly to my own experiences or they're things that I can relate to more. Yeah, I always want to find a story that I feel I exist within. Yes. You know, see yourself represented back to you. Yeah, exactly. And I think that uh, it's a really natural thing. It's one of the things that we love about art in lots of different forms, the ability to think within our own prism and to place ourselves in those stories and think about our own 
um, take on whatever the the situation mm. is. So if you can't do that continuously and if you're totally alienated from that all the time, then it really does start to impact on your enjoyment of those forms, I think. I'm a big crime reader and for a long time the only way I saw myself reflected in literature when I was reading a lot more crime than anything else was as the dead person, oh, you know, God. and that's really depressing. It is. Uh, and there are some really great female protagonists in, in crime books, but there were kind of a lot of big blockbusters, but everybody else seemed to be writing male characters and then, you know, kind of falling into reading Val McDermott, for example, or, you know, obviously the big ones like Patricia Cornwall and whatever, thinking, well, hang on a minute, women are writing these characters and they are there and that means that they're not just the dead body. So, okay, let's go find some more of that and finding those Australian equivalents has been wonderful. It's been really good. Cool. Yeah. Um, you talk a lot about the sort of really practical applications of these organisations. Yeah. What's what's Wheeler's really practical plan for the future? Because it's a tough one, isn't it? It is. It is. So we've just announced this week um, our steering committee, which is really exciting, and I would love to have been able to talk about it sooner, but it sort of felt like we had to wait for everything to fall into place. Um, and, and appointing that steering committee is really the start of us doing most of our work. So up until now, we've put together a website, which, as I said, has all of those kind of contacts for where you can go and look at, if you're a woman writer, what can I do and where are the support services for me? But also, if you're a woman or a man who wants to read you know, anything by women, where can you go to find that sort of thing? So off you go, have a look at those. Um, and the other thing we committed to doing this year is doing a stage count. Um, we know from the stellar and Vita numbers um, that women on the page are dramatically underrepresented. And there is a feeling um, that when you look at women in programming for festivals um, and public events throughout Australia, that they are underrepresented there too. Mm. But unfortunately, we don't have numbers on that, so it's much harder to argue. And I think what we saw with the Vita count when that started to emerge was that once you start talking statistics, suddenly it's a lot harder for people to argue back. Um, and I think there are studies out there that show that a woman only needs to speak for 30% of the time before a man thinks she has been speaking 80% of the time, say, in a meeting. So women don't have to take up equal amount of space before they're uh, seen to have been taking up more than appropriate space. So it's really interesting to think about whether that happens in festivals. I think quite often when I say to people, I want to know if there's gender parity in a festival, they look at you like you're crazy. What are you talking Of course there is. And I look at stages and I think, no, there isn't. Mm. And what particularly worries me and what we're really focused on in doing with the count is is actually um, looking at whether women are talking on particular topics too. So quite often you'll see there's a women writers panel at a festival, but you don't have women talking about economics or you don't have women talking about politics. And so we'd really like to start to measure some of that. One of the people in our steering committee is Lisa Dempster, who's the director of the Melbourne Writers' Festival um, and formerly of the Emerging Writers' Festival, and she talks about the fact that um, when you look at plain gender parity as it relates to the Melbourne Writers' Festival before she came along, um, there was certainly, you know, um, some good statistics in terms of the general parity. Did they have as many women as men? Probably, you know, fairly close to half. Um, but when you looked at how many women had been in keynote speech roles. Mm -hmm. It was awful. You know, there was right. maybe three or four keynote speakers um, compared to the masses and masses of men that had been doing all of these keynote speeches. And she has received pushback when she's programmed, um, you know, Helen Garner to be her opening night 
you know, performer for the Melbourne Rise Festival, there were questions there about whether that, those tickets would sell, whether people wanted to come and see a woman, you know, kind of open up the festival. And um, Lisa is a, an incredibly principled woman who um, is also very pragmatic. So for her, she was, you know, well, if I didn't think it would sell, I wouldn't be doing it. But also... It's Helen Garner. Who wouldn't want to go and see Helen Garner? But so, it's mm. so amazing, the, isn't it? It really is, and and I think that's the sort of thing that Willa is is aiming to um, open up some more public debate about. Not so much should we listen to women talk, because obviously we think you should. Um, but what are the statistics like? What what do we know about women writers? What do we what do we think we know versus we can actually show um, when you start looking at those statistics? So, lots of practical stuff like that. But also, I think the great thing about where we're at with Willa at the moment is that steering committee has just been put together and really it's up to the steering committee to shape the organisation. So we've got a really great bunch of women and every time I look at the list I can't believe that you and Amy, you are one of them, (laughs) uh, have all agreed to come together and work on this um, because I feel like between us, you know, there's a really strong... um, overachieving vibe, I'm going to say, uh, in that these are all women who who are very dedicated to a number of projects in lots of different ways and their own careers as well. Um, And I feel like they're going to have some pretty great ideas about where we need to go and what we need to be doing to see better results for women in literature. So you're going to talk to your steering committee about their experiences and what they have hopes for and how they might suggests that we approach those issues. Absolutely. And I think one of the great things about the committee is that we've worked really hard on bringing writers together who have a huge amount of diversity, both in art forms, so um, people who are doing lots of different kinds of writing and who are tied into different communities, but also from culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds, Mm -hmm. um, people who identify with lots of intersecting uh, kind of issues that inform their writing as well. Um, And so that for me, you know, speaks really well to the fact that I don't really believe we have a community of writers. I think we have lots of communities Mm. of writers. And so some people identify as a woman writer as much as they just identify as a writer, as much as they just identify as a memoirist or a fiction writer. Um, They might find that that being a person with a disability informs their writing. Mm. Um, So all of the kinds of factors that come into your writing put you in a kind of subset of a Venn diagram of, you know, all of these communities. Um, And to me, it's really important that any organisation that exists that is for, you know, a broad group like women acknowledges that there are different and intersecting issues for women um, and that no one group is going to be able to represent that entirely. But we can certainly try to talk to all the different communities that are within our wider community um, and see what would help. Uh, What we can do at this point, we have no funding. So we are, you know, an organisation that is running off the goodwill of a lot of women and the unpaid labour of women is a whole other issue to Mm. get into. Um, but certainly, you know, I think that even in just coming together and having this forum and this group, that's a huge step in the right direction uh, for getting some practical outcomes. Um, yeah. So for listeners that are interested, how can people find out more? Sure, you can go to our website, which is org, uh, and you can have a look um, Uh, on the website and see uh, whether there are particular things that are of interest to you. We're also on Facebook, so if you look for Women in Literary Arts Australia on Facebook um, and same thing on Twitter, uh, you will find us there. Um, 
again, we're both as much for readers as we are for writers. So if mm. you're a writer, there will definitely be a lot of stuff there for you. But if it's just that you're interested in hearing more about women writers in general, um, then, yeah, absolutely. Um, every day on Facebook we put up a new quote by women writers, which I think is um, a lot of fun for me because I get to make them all up. So I get to <laughs> read lots of women talking about writing. But one of the things I've really loved is seeing how widely those get posted and travel all over the internet. Um, there are a lot of smart women saying smart things out there. It's always nice to hear more of that. How fantastic. Yeah. All right, so uh, org is the website and Women in Literary Arts uh, Australia on Facebook. That's the one. All right, thanks for chatting with us, Leifa. Thank you for having me. And I might, uh, maybe we'll touch base again in six or 12 months and see what's going on. That would be really wonderful. All right. <laughs> Deadline. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thanks once again to my guest, Leifa Singleton-Norton. I really enjoyed our chat. Uh, if people want to find out more about Women in Literary Arts Australia, you can go to wilaa.org, um, and there you'll find a little bit about the organisation, some resources, the beginnings of the events count that Leifa mentioned, and also contact details if you have anything to tell the founders and organisers. Um, they're also present on Facebook, once again, if you search Women in Literary Arts Australia. I'm Amy Middleton, and thanks for joining us for another episode of Women on the Line. Women on the Line is Community Radio's National Women's Current Affairs Program. It's produced and presented by a range of women at 3CR Melbourne and broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network with funding support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. The theme music for Women on the Line is Slideshow at Free University by La Tigra. Women on the Line can be downloaded from our website, womenontheline.org.au, or download the podcast at 3cr.org.au slash podcast. I'm Amy Middleton. Tune in next time for another edition of Women on the Line. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.